many ways, materially, spiritually, physically, just in every way you've blessed us. Lord, this today that we take time to give back a portion which you've given to us so it can further the work of your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you'll bless us all as we give and that we'll have done so cheerfully. Lord, we pray that you'll continue to be with us and forgive us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 783. 783. Will you not tell it today? <clears throat> If the name of the Savior is precious to you, if his characteristics constant if the heart of his presence has brightened your heart, for will you not tell the loving shepherd for the Christian. I'm just going to tell you right now, you guys are a lot better looking than the camera I've been looking at the last several weeks. I am grateful to be back to in-person worship services. I'm grateful to see each one of you here. Um, it's good to be back. While we were on our hiatus during our virtual uh, worship services, I wanted to do a variety of different lessons to kind of build us up, to keep us thinking, to kind of hit where we really needed to be um, encouraged. Uh, as we're coming back now, I'd like to return back to our series on Mark. I think there's some...
very powerful things in the midst of this pandemic that Mark has found for us, or that can be found in Mark. And so I wanted to return back. We're in Mark chapter 4, the last little section there, the last several verses of Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Let me remind you of what we've, we've talked about. It's probably been a month or more now, um, so maybe you've forgotten. But uh, in the first part of Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells this story about... Um, Four different types of soil. He's in fact going to tell three parables. They're all interlinked. They're not separate. Uh, a lot of times we view uh, these parables, uh, parables as uh, separate stories, as separate. Um, they have different meanings and they don't really. Uh, at least all three of these parables in Mark chapter 4 are connected. And Jesus tells them back to back to back like this for a reason. So when he starts talking about the parable of the four different types of soil in Matthew, because this parable is found both in Matthew and in Mark, and they're identical, they're verbatim. If you go back through and you line up Matthew's section of this parable with Mark's section of this parable, you're not going to find a whole lot of different words. In fact, they use almost identical words to talk about this parable, but they use the parable for different meanings. They're, they're trying to convey different purposes. In Matthew, he wants you to be looking out as an evangelist and saying, well, I don't have the right to say, well, this person's bad soil, so I'm not going to teach them. He says everyone is, the possibility for anyone being good soil is there. And it's not my responsibility, it's not my right to refuse the gospel to them. So I teach the gospel, I, spread, I scatter the seed wherever I go, whoever I meet, I teach them about the Lord. Mark has a completely different purpose. His purpose is not evangelistic. When he's telling you this parable, it's not, he does, he's not wanting you to look out at the rest of the world. He's wanting you to look inside yourself. Which kind of soil are you? Is your heart hard? When you hear the truth, do you push back? Uh, is, it, is it rocky or, or is it thorny? When troubles arise, we've seen our fair share of that the last year or so, haven't we? When, when troubles arise... Do you step back or do you step in to your faith? All of that to say that Mark uses this parable, the parable of the soils, to help us identify which soil we are. Where's our heart at? The next two parables, he's going to say something very similar. In each one of these parables, the seed is the word of God. And he's talking about our faith. And the next one where he talks about the seed growing, our faith growing in a process, right? We have to put in the hard work, but if we do, what what happens? Well, our faith grows, right? And then the last one, the parable of the mustard, the seed of the... the hmm, it's been a while since I preached in person. I just get to go back through and delete these things that I don't like when I'm doing it in camera. So thus the stutters. Um, so the parable of the mustard seed... He says, well, if you put in the hard work, guess what happens? Well, God's going to grow your faith. God takes care of his part of uh, the equation. You do what you need to do. Make the gospel, make your faith the most watered plant in your garden. Now, by that we mean focus more on it. Focus more on your faith. Focus more on spirituality than you do anything else to the exclusion of anything else. That's a high standard, right? That's difficult, especially in our world where so many different things pull at us. But he says, if you do this, if you will focus on your faith, spirituality, the gospel, 
your faith will grow and grow and grow. And during these times, we need a bigger faith more than we ever have before. Right? 2020, 2021 calls for a bigger faith than 2018 did. Because of where we're at. And so we're going to have to put into the difficult work, the hard work, the long hours of growing up our faith. Now, he finishes those three parables with that idea, and then he goes immediately into the story that we find in Mark chapter 4, 35, which you know well. It's the story of a storm that comes up on the Sea of Galilee. Um, I want to walk you through this story, and we'll point out some interesting things for you um, that will hopefully help you see this story in a different light. Then I want to talk a little bit about what it means to us. So Mark chapter 4, let's start in verse 35. He says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. So it's even the same day as the three parables he's just told. He's not changing subjects here. He's following through. He, he, Mark is not recording Jesus' life in the chrono- chronological sequence of events that they actually happened. So Mark may include something that happened early on in Jesus' ministry right next to something that happened later. These, these four events, the three parables and the windstorm, happened on the, same, on the exact same day. But that's not always the case in Mark. Sometimes he'll take different events from different parts of Jesus' life and he'll slam them right next to each other. Why does Mark do that? Because he's trying to prove a point. Mark is much more like a preacher, much less like a historian. So he's going to use these, these miracles, especially the miracles, as illustrations for his bigger point. And so Mark's bigger point in Mark chapter 4 is you spend the hard time, you spend a lot of time building up your faith, and it'll grow. He's still on that exact same topic here uh, as he closes out this, this fourth chapter. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? All of Mark 4 is all about faith. And the disciples are still struggling with this lack of faith. So what's going on here? What, what, what can we draw out of this, this miracle? This great windstorm arose. Every time you see great in these next couple of verses, you might want to underline it or, or color it if you, if you mark in your, in your Bibles. Because Mark's going to try to draw some, some, he's going to draw our minds to this word great. Because there's a massive windstorm. He uses the word mega here in, in Greek. And so he's talking about this massive windstorm. Apparently, windstorms like this can pop up on the Sea of Galilee quite frequently and quite quickly. And so you can be in the middle of this sea, which is quite large, um, several, I think it's like eight miles wide and 13 miles or so long. So this is a pretty good sized lake. Windstorms can come up on it very quickly 
and they can be quite fierce. But here you find 12 guys, 11 of which at least, who grew up on this, uh, on this lake. These guys are experienced fishermen. This is what they do. You don't grow up in and around Capernaum and not spend a little bit of time on the Sea of Galilee. Especially Peter, Andrew, James, and John. This is what they did for a living. They had been through these types of storms before. This one's different. This one's different. They think that they're all about to die. They think that the boat's about to capsize. And in fact, the waves are coming in over the edge of the boat and it's filling the boat with water. And these four, at least four, experienced fishermen look at Jesus and they say, What are you doing to sleep? We're about to die. Wake up and help us. It's interesting that he says it's a great windstorm because after Jesus does wake up, he says to the storm peace and to the waves be still, what happens? A great calm. He uses the same word. Mark's trying to draw our attention to this incredible windstorm, but then after that, the great calm. Have you ever been on the ocean and, and the, the storm just kind of stopped? I've never done that, but you've been in like wave pools or something, and when the waves crashing in against you and then they stop for a little bit, there's still like a little bit of eddy, right? There's still a little bit of movement. That's not, that's not the case with this storm. There were massive waves. It was just really violent and the apostles were terrified. It's probably raining. There's thunder. There's lightning. It's dark. Remember, it's nighttime. So then this is an incredibly scary scene. All this movement, uh, maybe they're getting seasick. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, peace be still. And it stops. I mean, there's not even a little bit of wave left. There's great calm. That's what happens when Jesus speaks into our lives, right? Incredible calm. We've got to look at the rest of the story. So when, when he says here, a great windstorm arose, what's, what's, what's Mark trying to get at here? Well, we've seen the, the previous context, you also got to look at the, what comes after this, because he's tying it all in together. So if you were to just take out this, this one little section here, the story, the miracle, the, the, the miracle on the sea, if you were to take out that little story and just try to study it, you see a little bit of it, right? Like you would on this picture, but you don't get the whole picture, do you? Not until you look at what comes before it and not to look at what comes after it can you get the entire picture. And so we got to look at what comes before and after. We can't just look at this one little text here and pull it out and try to dissect it. It doesn't work like that, at least not in Mark 9 scripture. And so what comes after? Well, in Mark chapter 5, he's going to give you three examples of people who are in the midst of incredible storms. Hard times in their life, right? If you look in your scriptures in Mark chapter 5, you'll see a demoniac. You know him as Legion. He's got a whole host of demons inside of him, and he is causing havoc in and around his, his little section of the country. He's in a storm of his own, isn't he? He's in a personal storm. It's brilliant. Uh, the more you walk through Mark and see how he, God places these stories back to back, it's, it's kind of astounding. And then you, you come up to this man whose daughter is dying. Can, can you fathom? How the terror that this man must have been in, the anxiety that must have filled this man. His little girl's sick and dying. In fact, she's going to die. That's how sick she is. He's in a storm of his own, unlike anything he's ever been in. There's a woman that comes up as Jesus is walking with the man. He's, he's talking with this man. 
uh, about his little girl. And there's a woman who comes up, and she's dreadfully ill and has been dreadfully ill for over a decade. As long as the little girl's been alive, she's been sick. And it's changed her life. She's in a storm all of her own, isn't she? And so what do you do when you're in the midst of this kind of incredible storm? Mark's going to tell us, right? That's what Mark 4 is all about. What do you do when you're in the midst of storms? He's going to tell you. Let's, let's walk through the rest of, of, of this, this story here. During the middle of the storm, Jesus is asleep in the stern. Uh, I'll post a video uh, later, I think tomorrow, uh, on Facebook on our page uh, that shows uh, what this boat might have looked like. They found the Jesus boat is what they're calling it in 1985, I think. And so we know pretty well what this boat would have looked like. This particular boat that they found is about 2,000 years old. So we know what this boat would have looked like. We, we know what the storm would have looked like. It would have been incredibly fierce. And so Jesus is asleep in the stern. Waves are crashing over. It's dark. There's lightning and rain, no doubt. And the disciples, good experienced fishermen, sailors, wake Jesus. And they say, don't you even care that we're dying? Did he care? Of course he cared. You don't have to go back through very far in Mark to find out why Jesus is asleep. You ever thought about that? Why is Jesus asleep right here? And one of the the questions I asked in the bulletin this week for your further review as we walk through this parable or this story together uh, throughout this week, one of those questions is how many times do you find Jesus sleeping in Scripture? It's an interesting question. He's asleep here because he's exhausted himself. He's been healing. He's been teaching nonstop for the last last several days, if not the last several weeks or months. He's exhausted himself. He's been traveling from town to town, healing and teaching. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's cast out so many demons at this point. He's healed several lepers at this point. He's healed the paralyzed man. He's healed the man that they let down from the, the roof. He was paralyzed. He healed him. He's healed the man with a withered hand, the paralyzed hand, on, on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. Does he care? Duh. <laughs> you know, this is just one more way that the apostles just aren't getting it. Mark didn't put these words into these men's mouths. He's recording what happened. That's just where their minds went. Don't you even care that we're perishing? Jesus obviously cares about the entire word because that's why he came. And he's exhausted himself now to the point that he has to, he has to sleep through this incredibly fierce storm, a storm that they think they're going to die in. Jesus, it doesn't even, wake him, doesn't even wake him up. You ever been that tired? I don't know that I've ever been that tired. Do you, count, do you not care? It's amazing to me that Jesus didn't give them the rebuke first. I think I'd have said, go back and look at my track record. Do you think I care? Are you kidding me? That's not what he does, though, right? He deals with what's terrifying them first. And then he deals with their lack of faith. That's interesting, right? That tells us something about him. It tells us something about his heart. It'd be like one of our kids comes up to us and they say, well, this, thing's, this thing's chasing me, I'm scared. Well, what do you do? And they'll say, well, listen, that's silly. You go deal with the thing that scares them, right? He's got a father's heart. So he says, of course I care. Here's what I want you to get out of it as we bring our lesson to a close today. Whatever you feed grows. Whatever you feed 
grows. This is a picture of a little puppy Kelly and I had in, uh, when we lived in Jackson while I was doing grad school there at Freed. Um, this little guy, this little girl, she could fit in the palm of your hand. I mean, she was tiny when we first got her. They found her under a bridge. And Kelly's got a, a thing for little white dogs that, she's got a thing for dogs. <laughs> but especially little white dogs that have these little circles on them. She, she had one when she was a kid. We loved that dog. And so this, this, when she, we found this dog, they were like, hey, would you guys foster them? I said, sure. And so um, this little dog, thought it was so cute. Thought she was like some sort of little feist. She was so tiny. Um, and we got rid of the worms that were inside of her and started feeding her, and she turned out to be a 70-pound pit bull. <laughs> so um, the point I'm trying to make is whatever you feed grows. We watched that dog. Uh, her bowl went from something that could fit in the palm of your hand to something you had to hold with two hands almost. You know, she had so much food, but as, as she ate, what happened? She grew. Whatever you feed grows. The apostles were feeding their fear here in Mark chapter 4. They were terrified because that's what they do. Because they don't understand yet who holds life in his hands. They're going to get there after he's died and been resurrected and ascended. They're going to get there. But they don't get it just yet. They're still acting like they don't have the God of the universe in the boat with them. And so they're feeding their fear, their anxiety. And guess what's happened? They come to the point where they are so afraid that they accuse the one who cares more for them than anything else, more than he cares about his own well-being, who has exhausted himself in service to them. They accuse him of not caring at all. Does fear make you do some silly things? Absolutely. If you feed it, will it grow? You bet where these guys are now. As we read the news, as we listen to the news, you know, Facebook has the, that little tab for the news uh, on it. And if you ever get into that thing, it's dangerous. <laughs> because it starts working its way through your mind, doesn't it? Some of us that watch 6 o'clock or 9 o'clock or whatever clock news you watch, if, if you focus on that stuff, what happens? It starts getting inside you, doesn't it? It starts building this fear. Why? Because you're feeding it. Because whatever you feed grows. So what would happen if you were to feed yourself? That's what Mark's trying to get across in Mark chapter 4 and 5, really. If you feed your faith, it will grow. Because guess what? You're going to need it. Because there's a storm coming. Just like in Mark chapter 5, there's three stories, three actual events of people that have storms in their life. You're going to go through a storm. Even if we weren't in the midst of a pandemic, you are going to go through a storm. And as God's values and His priorities become farther and farther outside of American culture, as those things are pushed farther and farther away, there's a storm coming for us. It seems to be inevitable at this point. So what are you doing? What are you feeding? So that when that storm comes, you can rely on your faith. You can lean up against your faith and it'll be strong enough to hold you up. Mark's not saying storms don't come. He's not saying that if you love Jesus and you're, you're, you're dedicated to him that you won't have storms. That's ludicrous, right? We have storms. Jesus had storms, literal and metaphorical storms in his life. 
He's not saying storms won't come. He's saying when they come, because they will come, when they come, how are you going to deal with them? And what will you have fed so that you can rely on during those storms? Because if you feed your fear and your anxiety, what's going to grow? Your fear and your anxiety. But if you feed your faith, what's going to grow? Your faith. So that when the storm comes, you're not running around like a chicken with your heads cut off, acting like the world's falling down. When the storm comes, you'll have fed your faith. And you say, even if I die, I win. Especially if I die, I win. There's more to life. So much more to life than my health and my well-being. I think the pandemic has shown us that. If it's shown us nothing else... It's driven into our heads, at least it should have, that there's so much more to life than my, continu- than my continued existence on this plane. Because there's an afterlife coming where I'll be judged for how I acted here, what I fed here. I need to be ready for that day. So <clears throat> this morning... If you're not ready, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, having your sins washed away, He's still holding you accountable for those things. And it doesn't matter what you feed. You can read the Bible and pray every day, but if you haven't had your sins washed away, it's no good. You're running down a dead-end road. You need to have your sins washed away, and then, then you can dedicate your life to Christ. Then He can start transforming and molding you into His image. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning. You just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. If you have any need, why don't you come this morning as we stand and sing. Jesus, the
We close this morning. Hymn number 738. 738. We will glorify the King of Kings. And after this hymn, Brother Dave Trebatha will have a prayer. <clears throat> we will glorify the King of Kings. We will Let's go to God in prayer at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for being here this morning, Lord, to be able to sing praises to you, to learn more about your word, to be able to apply it to our lives, Lord, or that we will shed a light in our community, Lord, to our friends and family and neighbors, Lord, that they will see you in us, Lord, or that they will want to come closer to you. Be with us the rest of this week, Lord. Lord, knowing that we are going to face storms in our own lives, Lord, that we can know with our faith that you are there beside us, that you are there to help us through all trials in our life, Lord. Lord, continue to be with our sick, be with the ones who are dealing with cancer, be with our widows and our shut-ins, Lord, and continue to be with our youth, Lord, and most of all, be with our elders, Lord, as the decisions they make for this congregation. But most of all, Lord, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. Be with us now and the rest of this week. Forgive us, Lord, when we do fall short. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen.